Quite the Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints. Hello everyone and welcome back to the What a Manoeuvre podcast. I am Kev and I'm pleased to be joined as always by Sai. Sai, how are you? Even Kev, good man. Um, just a couple of good weeks of watching wrestling in the background. So the last couple of weeks obviously we've been off in the pod, so... Uh, no, look forward to get back in the mix of it here. Ah, uh, yeah, recording's been a slight issue, so we we do apologise, but we're back and we're back with the the best of Bret Hart. Uh, anyone that listened to the first pod will know that we each pick three moments, matches, angles, whatever we want to discuss about the Hitman, and we went rather long, so we decided to put a stop on it, call an audible as they say, and make it a two-parter. So we're going to kick off the two, the second part with one of your picks, Sai, and this is from SummerSlam 1994, brother versus brother in a steel cage match. What made you pick this one out of all the bright matches you could have had? Well, obviously we discussed briefly the first match they had at, the, uh, at WrestleMania 10 last week, but this one stands out for me because SummerSlam 94 it was one of the first uh, events that I got when I actually got Sky into the house. Um, so it always stands out for me this one but it's one of those classic steel cage matches that you, you always remember I mean it, it just did everything uh, throughout the match you did the whole build up to the to try to keep Jim Neidhart out and that was the, the reason for the for the cage in the first place but no it was a really good build as we know um, Owen went in um, won the match at Mania and then he won King of the Rings so his momentum was, was absolutely flying Brett was obviously champion so this was a the big moment for Owen to get his championship match, and again, it doesn't go on last on the card that night. But it's 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 truly one of the greatest cage matches in my opinion of all time. There's there's not many that stand up to it these days. I mean, obviously we talk about Hell in a Cell, but that's that's a different kind of cage match. If it's just a normal steel cage match with the four sides, it, it, it's hard to top. Uh, this one for me, there's a couple, but this is up there right in my top three for cage matches, and they just tell such a great story throughout the whole match. They work on different parts of the body. You see, that that's a lost art in wrestling these days, as, as we know. Um, Brett and Owen were, were masters at it, and obviously they added impetus to them being uh, brothers as well. Just played into the storyline so much. You had obviously Nightheart on the outside and the rest of the, the family watching on. So. No, it was, and they used the cage as well. That, that's that's what um, you, you didn't see a lot back then. They used the cage as a sort of weapon. You had Brett slingshot no one in. You had Owen hanging from the cage. You used it as a weapon. But it's one of those things that the, the blue cage, I think it only got a couple more errands after this. Um, it got SummerSlam 97, I think, was the last time. No, was it? No, I think. SummerSlam, they used it at uh, Valentine's Day Massacre, although it's painted black. Black. Uh, that that must that have been one of the last ones he used because it was, people were getting burst open the hard way and stuff like that. So I think the wrestlers, the kind of prefer the old mesh style cages they've got now with that sort of hell in a cell style cage. But this was old school. This this was what cage matches were all about for me. What was the first cage match you ever saw? That's just a random question, mm-hmm. but I was the one I the first one I can remember seeing was on like a best of Hulkamania video. And it was Hogan versus Bossman. Right. And I remember seeing Hogan suplex him from, it was the second rope, right? But Bossman came off the top. And I thought, holy shit, man. Look at that. And 
I mean, if you go back and watch it now, it's probably a very, very basic match, but yep. that's the first cage match I can remember. And I'm pretty sure if I'm not getting mixed up, Zeus maybe interfered and stood in the way of Hogan, so that would have been filmed about, what, 89? 89, before, just Aye. after WrestleMania 5 thing, before SummerSlam 89, I'd imagine. So, and my first one, uh, the first I can remember was, was it SummerSlam 90, it was Warrior against Rude in the cage, that's the first Aye. one I can really remember. And that's in the good old days when they didn't, you didn't pin somebody to win the match, it was climb over the top and escape the cage, that was always my favourite way for somebody to win the match, it was added to the drama of who's going to hit the floor first, stuff like that. So, no, that was the first one I can remember, and the Bret Hart uh, Owen one was, is just an all-time classic for me. Like you say, they, when WWF do this, they, they do it brilliantly. They intertwine the story, so they go back and bulldogs in the crowd. Yep. So, Looking like a roided up jungle boy. If anyone watches AEW just now, he looks with with his mad hair. The last time we'd seen him in WWF, I think he would have been sporting the dreadlocks. Am I right in saying about Did he go to WCW for a year and a bit? I don't know why. I think it was persistent drugs, drug use at the time. But um, he went to WCW for a year or so, and he ended up back. But he wasn't officially under contract here, which I can't remember when he next shows up and. Is it late 94, early 95 he comes back? That's something that's a deep dive on in the Bulldogs career because he's somebody that was really, really over the early 90s and then in a couple of flirtations with the main event. Like yeah. you say, I think he went to WCW and played volleyball on an island with Sting before a midget blew up a boat, if I remember. I think he was involved in these sort of shenanigans, but he comes back here and they, they, they go back to SummerSlam 92. They talk about the family feud then. Yeah. How they entered his friends, they left his friends. But I say, Bulldog looks like somebody that's went away inside the Chuck Wrestling and become a port or something. He's sitting with a pair of specs on and he's not wee really that tough. <laughs> ah, a wee waistcoat. Which I always is, remember. Uh, very, very nice. I remember the pop. He keeps climbing the cage at the end, but obviously we'll talk a bit more about the match. But um, he climbs up the cage and the Night Hart Road keep beating him down and he just rips his shirt off the cow goes mental and he gets up and starts battering uh, Owen I think it is and, and that, that's a good it's a good moment seeing that happen as well because there's, there's Davy Boy coming to, to Brett's aid and you got all the other brothers trying to climb in and, and help him out but going back to the match itself you've it's a suplex to the top of the ring spot I think it's Brett that um, it does it Owen's trying to get out Brett catches him it's, it's, it's typical Brett Hart he's it's just a safe Smashes 
Owen's head off the off the cage and Owen, I think he slips, he slips and then his leg gets caught and it's just an inch, it's a really good finish. I mean, you don't see it uh, that that much in cage matches anymore, but the the opponent gets caught up in the cage and he actually gets stuck in it, and then the the other one the other man wins. But again, it's such a good finish, and I don't know who was behind who was the agent or anything behind that match, but it was uh, just so well done. Uh, the thing about it as well as you mentioned the end there. Bray obviously goes over Owen would never ever get the WWF title which is perhaps a, a discussion for another day to deserve yeah. it if so when and where the the thing with the end was that the guys didn't just climb and jump in the cage like they do now I mean two leaps and they're inside the cage and the whole point yeah. the whole story of the cage is like you said to keep men out it's to stop interference it's to make it these guys can't get a fair fight one on one We'll put them in the cage. No one can get in. No one can get out. Or if they can, it's really, really difficult to get in or out. And, and you see that at the end. Once Brett's won the match, yeah. Owen and uh, Nightheart come in. They put a padlock on the door so nobody can get in in theory. And it takes ages for people to get in and help Brett. <laughs> By that was... time, the, the damage is done. But I say now, nowadays, people scoot up and down that cage. It's a bit like the ladders. Uh, back in these days, remember when they used to go up to a ladder to try and get a briefcase, they would slow down with every round they took. Yeah. It was uh, the same with the the big blue cage. And from what I've heard listening to podcasts and read in people's autobiographies, nobody really liked working with them because yeah. they were awkward, they were sore. Like you say, if, if you run up to a mesh fence and you get fired into it, it might be uncomfortable, it's not nice, but it's not really that sore, but it looks pretty bad. And of course, the other thing they had was they they never had any blood. They weren't very much in the PG era. Yeah. So they weren't allowed any blood, so that so they had to work with what they what they had. And uh, it's a Bret Hart match, and you, you know you're going to get something special. It's it's probably a bit of a curse that Bret had that he was lumped with some Hardys and all the way back to like hi Tom McGee, and and sometimes you're worse for that. We've heard of Undertaker down the years. I mean, you look at some of the stinkers he's been given at WrestleMania. Trent Gonzalez and King Kong Bundy and stuff like this, just because he could do it. Yeah. And they thought they would get a match out of it. And I think it's something that very, very, very much that Brett was cursed with. Just because he could get a good match out of MD and make people look like a million dollars. Sometimes you need to give these guys a break and you need to put them into uh, top-level feuds. And here, I think it was a bit of both. Because yep. Brett wanted to elevate Owen, and mm-hmm. Owen was a, a very good worker in his own right. I, I think Owen he lacked something for me. Don't know yeah. if it was just size, whether it was height, or whether it was because Owen was really. I think everybody over the years have said that Owen was a better high flyer than Brett, and a yeah. better a better mark worker than Sean. So, but it, it, you know what I mean? It was just he was there. He he couldn't be the best at anything because the other two were better. I don't know, it's, it's a deep dive for another day, but say it's a very, very good match. It's bang in the middle of one of the WWF dark periods. I see you've got on top, you mentioned it within the main event. You've got Undertaker versus Undertaker for crying out loud. And <laughs> I'm not even going to go through the rest of the card because there's not a whole lot there. Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel and stuff like that. And who's got the most colourful outfit? It's terrible, but. Was there anything else on this card that you liked, or should we just proceed swiftly on? Uh, I liked the, the Razor and Diesel match. Was it Diesel? I was Diesel. Sean, 
kind of remember the cost of the title, if I remember. And I think Razor had some American footballer or something in his corner, and that's what helped him win. But apart from that, I like the Undertaker match, not so much for the, the actual match sales, just for the entrance to the Undertaker return. I mean, that was about nine months or so he was gone, so as a kid, seeing him coming back, it was it was great stuff, seeing, seeing him coming in the ring and being the real Undertaker. Um, so um, I think, was it Naked Gun guys were involved as well? Um, doing these backstage skits all night, trying to find it. I mean, I liked obviously the Naked Gun and stuff growing up in police squad, so it was um, quite cool seeing them doing their thing on the, on the show. Um, for me, it doesn't age well, but I do still enjoy the Naked Gun movies, so uh, that's, a, that's a pod for a different day, perhaps Jack and Colin will sort something out with that on one of the movie pods. But, right, let's talk, let's talk with some of your 15. One of my all-time favourite matches. It's, yep. it's a, depending on what day it is, si, it's either number one or number two in my favourite matches or favourite WrestleMania matches, depending on what list I'm discussing at the time, because this is an all-time classic. The summer of 1996, Brett decides to take time off after dropping the belt to Sean. Um, he goes away, maybe tries his hand at acting. He's involved in a wee tiny bit of a tug-of-war between WWF and WCW. He ultimately opts to stay with WWF, and I can't really remember how this comes about, if Brett picks Austin to work with or if they just sort of done the whole Brett, see what you can make of him. But Austin, who is a heel at the time, decides to pick in Brett and wants a comeback match with a hitman. They have an absolute classic at Survivor Series and then Brett's back in the fold. But yeah. and you'll, you'll probably remember this side more than me because you're, you're, the, you're the bigger Brett Hart fan than me. But slowly but surely... Brett starts to whine a wee bit, he starts to get upset, he starts to think everybody's out to get him. And again, if anyone's watched Wrestling with Shadows, Brett had discussed turning heel because as he said in the, the documentary, there's only so many times you can save the girl from the railroad tracks before it gets old. Yeah. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, do you think that Brett as a face was due a heel turn here, and do you think it was the right decision for him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of fans still still stuck with him after it, myself included, but it's, it's one of those ones that, there was a lot of stuff going on in real life, obviously, the, the negotiations with WCW and then Vince making them stay, but then that sort of whining personality, that, that was kind of good on backstage as well, because he was, he was feeling he was being overlooked, a lot for certain things. Matches weren't getting rematched with rifles, obviously didn't happen. They felt there was false promises as well. So there was a bit of real life that came into the storyline as we know where it culminates a year later um, down the line. It does. and But it's it's slowly done. It's a really slow build. and I don't know if it's deliberate or not to start with at the start, but um, the way they go about it is, I mean, you've got a good six months there. This slow, slow build to Brett Turner. And right up to Mania 13, he's still high fiving the fans. He's still Mr. Wholesome. He's doing all his usual. But the, between matches and stuff, he's arguing with Vince McMahon. There's stuff going on. And it's just one of these things where you don't expect him to do it. But you don't expect Stone Cold to turn into a, a face. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't as hot as what he was in mid 97 at the start of 97. Do you know what I mean? At the start of 97, he was just getting there. He wasn't. Fully the Stone Cold we know, but that's what, what Bret Hart 
I mean, they must need to say it themselves, but Bret Hart made them, and this whole storyline made Stone Cold Steve Austin, so it's absolutely, it's probably one of their last, we always say this, one of the last good pieces of storytelling in WWF, but it really is, I mean, you get the biggest star in the, the sort of mid-90s is, is Bret Hart, and he is going over to the dark side, it's, it's something that you don't expect, and as a fan at the time, I'd have been, what, 97, I'd have been 12, 11, 12 at the time, and I just think, what the hell's going on here, especially watching the match itself, which we'll talk about, you think, no, this isn't, this isn't the way the Hitman's supposed to do business, but when you, when you see it at the end of the day, it's, it's so well done. One of the, the things that I've always believed, and I, I think I first read it in Mick Foley's book back in, when was that released? In 2000? Yeah. Um, he said, for a heel to be effective, he's got to believe what he is doing is right. That doesn't mean he just comes out and says, okay, you're a bad guy this week, okay, I'm a bad guy and I don't like Atlanta, Georgia, or whatever they are. Yeah. And you can say that this Bret Hart character did believe in what he was doing was right. Like you say, people were still cheering him even when he was telling these people the truth and he was doing the whole anti-American gimmick eventually. But <laughs> from character point of view, he was thrown out of the Royal Rumble by Austin, who'd already been eliminated. Yeah. He should have won the Rumble. So, I mean, he's got a genuine grievance there that he shouldn't have been tossed out of it. He was, he was legitimately <laughs> cheated. Um, and then other things would happen to him. And again, this is about the time where the internet's starting to kick off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, you've not got things like your Twitter and your Facebook and stuff like that, but you've got dial-up internet, people are becoming smarter every day you're I think wrestling is probably one of the biggest bursts on the, the, the internet yeah, at the time the uh, daily AOL chat rooms and stuff like that, that, that. Ah. So I always remember that I was always on them on the WWE it took me ages to sign up for them as well uh, WWF.com it was the old style ones but the chat rooms were, were wild back in the day oh yeah. I, I, I didn't even think of some of the things you posted and <laughs> Had there been a, oh, imagine there was some sort of chat history there, man, you'd just be embarrassed with some of the things you said back then. Remember, that we need to try and find a link to this and put it in the description. Remember Vince McMahon done an AOL chat, um, but the servers went down or something, and Vince started typing random messages to himself and answering them as himself. <laughs> it's just one of the most bizarre things going. It's just classic Vince McMahon. It's him just typing answers to his bizarre questions so we'll try and get a link to that it's just if, even if you google Vince McMahon AOL interview it's um, very strange as in but like I say like, the internet was growing so people were reading more and more about wrestling and inside workings of the business the days are now slipping where you could do the same match in three or four towns in a week people now know that last night before the show they're going to see Brett beat Savio Vega with a sharpshooter in 10 minutes, you know what I mean? These are the sort of things that you can now read up on. And whereas before it was all like dirt sheets and newsletters, nobody really, very few bothered with them. And that's not a slant on people that melts and stuff like that. They're core audience, but now more and more mainstream people are blaming, people are reading up on this sort of thing. And, and they, they find out stuff about Brett going to WCW and being negotiated with and, on the other side, like we said, you've got this, this guy called Steve Austin, who's who's quite cool. He's won the King of the Ring. He's a heel, 
But yeah. we're we're now coming into the time of the the cool heels. You've got the the NWO on the other side who are running over everybody, and you've got Austin at that level where WWE don't do it anymore. But they they get a guy and they put him just under the main event. Uh, they maybe let him rub shoulders. They, this is what new houses used to be great for, where they'd put them up, remember, like the cold day in hell and stuff like that, yeah. against Undertaker, where you knew he wasn't, look back now, you knew he was never going to win the belt, but at the time you go, well, maybe, maybe, you yeah. never know, you, you, you can sort of play it out in your mind, but, and usually they would end in a DQ or a count out or something ridiculous or whoever was, the face would get screwed if it was a heel and stuff like that. They were sort of bridging events, but they were always good test of water events to see if people would buy someone like an Austin as a main eventer. And he was really there. And then, of course, this match that we're about to talk about, this puts Austin over the edge. This puts him right in the main event fold. And we just strap the rocket to his back. Brett and Austin had been going at it. Like you said, they, they fought at Survivor Season 86. Brett won with the... What's he call it again? No, the... Uh, sort of the other one. Yeah. Austin's got the million dollar dream on it and Brett climbs the turnbuckles, his feet pushes back and pins him. So yeah. Austin, Austin can say, I was this close to beating you. And now, of course, they are put in a submission match and I don't, I don't think Austin ever really understood why a submission match because he, he's famously on file and saying that I never had any submission holds apart from the million dollar dream I don't exactly. think anyone with it um, so they make their way to Wrestlemania I've got Ken Shamrock who's a, a bit of a star he's a UFC star who's just coming into the company who's jumped yep. about in cycling shorts who knew that Kenny would be what are we 20 odd Years later, and cycling shots are back in fashion for women, so who knew Kenny was a trendsetter? He's the referee. Brett and Austin are ready to go at it. Austin's got that wonderful entrance with the the walkway and the glass shatters, and he walks through it. And like you say, Brett's still getting high fives in the weight of the ring. Yeah. This is a, a blood feud, so there's none of this squaring up. There's no calling elbow tie-up. This is they charge for each other and start fighting. They fight yeah. through the crowd. Uh, there's Brett tries to get a chair and he tries to break Austin's ankle. Like I think had Austin's already done this to Pillman by this point, hadn't he? It, yeah, he'd done it to Pillman. Yeah, he'd done that to him. Yeah, so, so Pillman was out injured at the time. I think. Aye, uh, so Austin picks up the chair, hits Brett from the turnbuckle. Then of course you've got Shamrock. I think at one point he asks Austin if he wants to quit, and Austin flips on the double bird, and of course that that just makes the crowd cheer for Austin even more because that's cool he doesn't say no he doesn't say maybe he doesn't think about it just, you, I'm not quitting here it's a it's a battle for the ages they fight in the ring they fight round the ring they fight round the ring post they do everything to each other but it all makes sense Brett yeah. of course attacking Austin's legs he's going for the sharpshooter we all know he's going for the sharpshooter Austin is trying if he can to try and get the better of Bret Hart. And then you get one of the most iconic moments in WWF history where Austin is busted open, he's in the sharpshooter, and he passes out. From the hero's point of view, he never quit. Ken Shamrock stops the match, awards it to Bret, and then we get the full double turn where Bret decides to attack Austin when he's down, having already won the match, a very heel thing to do. Yeah. 
Austin doesn't quit, he doesn't take it, and he eventually walks out on his own accord without quitting. So people know he's got the balls, he's got the spirit, but on this night he just wasn't good enough. It wasn't his match. But again, it's in today's business, people I think are scared to lose. But in the old days, you were you were given, if you were going to lose, you were going to lose, and that was you. You had to decide to get it over one way or another. Yeah, and that's that's the match for the, I think they were told, no um, no blood. And I think the two, Austin asked Brett, said, I've never really done this before. How do, I, how do I go about it? So they did. Brett helped him bleed during the match, I think, as well. And I don't know what the fine was, but I know they both get into deep shit after it. But the match was... Was perfect in every way, apart from that. So the blood, the blood definitely added to it. I mean, you see Austin in the in the sharpshooter, the blood's just pouring down his face as he's pushing up with his hands, one last de- desperate act to get out and move, but he just fades away. And that's you've got Jim Ross in the background screaming, "He never gave up! He never gave up!" And that that's just them ramming home that this guy's a tough bastard and he's not going to he's not going to quit on himself. And the fans were right behind that. I mean, you see. You were talking about the chair shots earlier. When you hit someone with a chair, the fans just come unglued. And they want to see Bret Hart take an absolute doing. And that's, and that's as a Bret Hart fan, you're thinking, oh, you bastards, what's going on? It's one of these moments where you think, ah, oh, God, there's, there's something going down here. And after the bell, you see you see Bret just he works on his, I think it's his knee he starts working on. And it's it's one of those ones where he, it's, Brett obviously picking a spot again to, to show where he's injured and he just works on that and then he, he assaults him a few more times with a chair and Shamrock trying to pull him off and that's when you know for definite when Brett, Brett turns into that chicken shit heel when he backs off for Shamrock confronting him as well and he just walks out and he still gives a couple of high fives on the way out but you see the fans flipping him off and just shouting abuse at him and Brett starts mouthing back and that's when you know that the turn's happened and the next couple of months are going to be pretty eventful. They are, and, and like you say, like I said earlier, it's not a, I've decided to be a bad guy now, so I'm going to change everything about me. But it's still pretty much the same. He tells the truth, but this is 1997, this is different from 1992. We, for whatever reason, we are now appealing to sort of 18 to 30 year old males, is predominantly in the crowd. Yeah. So we are a bit rebellious. People can identify with Austin. Yeah. They they like this whole. I mean, for many many times, WWE in the mid nineties had tried to bring back Ultimate Warrior. That was never going to work after what nineteen ninety ninety one. He was past the sell by date. Him and to a certain extent Hogan with his nineteen eighties act, they wouldn't have flown here. People were over that. They wanted that anti heroes. They wanted cool people. They wanted people like Steve Austin, and Bret Hart was a perfect partner to get Steve Austin to that next level. And as I say, it's booking that. If you look back at it, you can see it laid out. Now, I'm not saying they knew every single detail, but back then, what they'd done was like Austin never won a match against Bret. Never won one. Uh, yeah, well, one of his best ever feuds. Uh, the street fight, but I don't know if that. Was, I don't know if they called that. A- a match really such a thing no. just going to hold bad wasn't it and Austin just uh, bad at him the one on Raw you know what I mean but aye, like a pay per view match they, they never he never won one but yeah this is what got him over and oh. it's just storytelling like it was the heel Survivor Series then the, the roads intertwine the, 
the weave through the rumble. <laughs> then, sorry, I'm watching this match in the background and Austin just kicked Brett squarely in the balls and Brett's selling it. So, uh, the, the sure. in and out, the whole Fatal Four thing as well, remember in February? Yeah. And then Brett went the bell and then they come back around and, but they leave it open and this is what WWF used to do and I've said it before on, on pods is where they would have stories and then, so they'd have a couple of matches and then a year later they would come back and usually yeah. it was the other way about. So if you were heel first run round, the next year when they come back, you were the face and they would hark back to it and they would talk about it. So had Brett and the whole Montreal thing not happened, can you imagine WWF champion Austin versus Brett as a challenger? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, how it would have been better had Austin beaten Brett for his first title at WrestleMania 14. How that would have made more sense. It would have been Austin eventually overcoming Brett after a more a year and a half feud on and off. It doesn't need to be every week, every month, every pay per view. But they did not like each other for a full year and a half. And for him to eventually overcome that mountain, I think that would have been amazing business. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we said, we've, we've discussed that in another a podcast we've done about a year or two back, and uh, maybe even Colin will let us put that one out, and I'm not too sure, but no, it's um, Bret Hart and Austin over that. It would have been a more logical approach uh, for Austin's uh, crowning as champion, but obviously you'd get your Bret and Sean stuff as well, but had Bret stayed around, I mean, that he had a, a good few more years worth out of that feud. That could have been one of his... I mean, obviously you get the emergence of the Rock as well as, as Austin's sort of main uh, rival over that time. But Bret Hart's right up there as he's, he's, he's number two, I'd say, um, rival throughout his whole time in wrestling. Well, maybe you get that's, uh, you've got to put that right up there. But in terms of a consistent wrestling uh, feud that's actually in ring, uh, Austin and Bret is right up there with Austin v Rock. And can you imagine what Bret would have done with the Rock as well? Oh, exactly. And that's we just mentioned the, the other day. The The Rock, we seen an interview. He was promoting some movie, but he always had. I think the interviewer was wearing a was wearing a Bret Hart T-shirt, and he always stops and remembers what Bret Hart done for him uh, back in the the ninety six ninety seven time. Because a lot of the sort of more established stars didn't have any time for him. They sort of took the piss. Didn't really believe that he would amount to anything. But Bret was always one that wanted to work with him and wanted to help put him over. So. And I think they had a couple of matches as well with Rose and stuff, so it's um, you can see that, that there's a lot of respect uh, for The Rock towards Bret Hart there, and that, that's just a, the mark of the man, what The Rock is, that he still, even though he's been gone now for a number of years, he still thinks back to the people that helped shape who he is today. As in, I say, had you a corporate in 99, 2000, a corporate rock, if you were missing Austin, you could Triple H kicking about, but if you had a Bret Hart there, yeah, you could yeah. imagine the stories that Bret could have told. Yeah, you could have had Spend Bret easily slot back in and been a babyface role, and the fans would have been behind him again. He's He was, I mean, as much as I do slag him off, he was the face of the company during that sort of 92 to 97 period um, before Austin took over, and, and that's... <sighs> They would have got a second. If he was still around in that attitude era, but Brett would have got that second wind and he would have got that re- renaissance that, that Hogan got in WCW, no doubt at all. And Brett might have been the first to go on to one of these part-time deals. Yeah. Because if, if he doesn't go to WCW, he doesn't get his head kicked in by Goldberg. But 
with all the young stars coming through. I think Brett's smart enough because he'd done it in 96 where uh-huh. he'd go away for six months and then come back and then have some matches, have some high-caliber matches. You know Brett's always going to have a great match, even in his advancing years, because yeah. his style was map-based. His style was telling a story with 90% of it in a ring. It's not flips, it's not dives, it's not death matches with Peter Sickers and stuff like that nonsense. It's it's actual wrestling. So for Brett to work two or three times a year, and in fact, I'm not going to say the next name because I'm going to ask you that at the end. Um, but WrestleMania 13 for me, I think if we were ever doing a, a countdown, a breakdown of great WrestleMania matches, this Bret Hart versus Steve Austin one is very top, and I think it's top three easily. And it's going to take a very, very good argument for me not to have it as my number one or certainly my number two. What about you? Uh, it's probably probably my top three, I'd say, for definite. Because you get the Bret Hart win and the actual match itself, so that instantly puts it high up the list. But <laughs> I'm just trying to think, in recent memory, no, there's nothing that comes close to it in the last eight, nine, ten years in WWE. There's there's nothing that would top that match in terms of WrestleMania moments and matches. Um, Undertaker, Sean, 25, 26. They're the last great ones for me. They're they're probably the last two great ones. I like the Rock v Cena first time, but it wasn't the greatest match just for the spectacle it was. There's not really been a lot of WrestleMania moments, matches that I've enjoyed really, to be honest with you, in the last... 10 years or so um, Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania 26 probably one of the last great moments for me and that's, that's quite sad really when, when we look back at it I mean us we I'll slag you sometimes for not liking like, modern stuff but I mean a lot of the modern stuff is just really really bad and these guys they can't tell stories the way that the likes of Brett and Shawn and Undertaker did it's, it's quite sad when you look at it we'll never get those days back as fans Um as much as some companies will try I think you'll, you'll see maybe some business pick up, we'll discuss on the topic at the end, but we'll discuss next week, but if certain the superstars jump over jump over the debut and then AEW, then that might give them a ratings boost and stuff get more old school fans on board but as far as moments go at WrestleMania, the Brett B. Austin's is right up there with the, your Hogan and Warrior for me I mean that's Again, it's not a great match, but Brett D. Austin's just an outstanding match for belt to belt. Right, we'll move on to the last match in this series, and this is again as one of your picks. It's it's weaved in quite nicely. We've went in uh, date order, and your last match is the main event of Canadian Stampede 1997. I want to ask a silly question: Why this match? Uh, Well, it's probably one of the last times we get to see all members of Heart Foundation, Heart Family, together in the ring at the same time as a team. It's quite sad now, obviously. The only one left alive is, is Brett, Jim Knight, in the last year or two passed away as well. But it's, um, for me, it's that whole 97, that Team USA v Team Canada thing with the Heart Foundation declaring war on, on America. And this is obviously taking place in, in Calgary at the time of the, I think it's a Calgary stampede they call it. It's like a big sort of fair that they do during the summer over there and it, it's just it shows you the whole build up to the event I mean watching I watched 97 couple of Raws and a couple of pay-per-views leading up to this and they don't really mention the actual pay-per-view until 
a week before on Raw. It's, it's a strange build to it, but it's still one of the all-time greatest in your houses and one of the greatest main events in that sort of era. And it's it still holds up today for me. I think Shawn Michaels was originally supposed to be in it, but he pulled out. I don't know if he was legitimately injured for once at this one. I know that he was tag champs with Stone Cold, and I think he did legit tweak his knee here, so he was ruled out of this match. Um, but it's just one of those matches it's um, it just stands the test of time for me. It's I think Meltzer even gave it five stars, which is for a ten man tag match you would never ever expect that. It's the crowd make it. They they absolutely make it. You get individual introductions for Austin. He comes I think he comes out last for his team and it just gets booed out of the building. You get the L O D, you get Ken Shamrock. Is it Gold Dust I think as well? He was a replacement because it was supposed to be Mankind, um, and he was, I can't remember, Mankind ended up facing Triple H in that sort of street fight late, earlier on in the night, so that was his feud, so they kind of brought Goldust in as a replacement, which kind of makes sense a month later, he's feuding with Brian Pillman, but they all get booed out of the building, and then you get this Vince's hamming it up on the the, the commentary saying this is us in the enemy territory and whatnot and Jim Ross is giving it loudly as well it's quite funny that all three of them are sitting at ringside wearing the week sort of cowboy hats that night and obviously JR's the only one that doesn't look out of place and Vince is sitting there looking like a cowboy you can just tell he's loving it um, but it, it, after Ross's music uh, finishes you can tell that the crowd are off it and you can actually hear the arena just totally shaking and <laughs> the crowd are just getting more and more wild who comes out first it's Pillman Pillman comes out first and he's milking it for all it's worth and it's just one of those moments where he could tell he's loving it because he's used to being that sort of antagonistic that heel but he's just loving playing a baby face for the night you can see the sort of joy in his face that he's getting it because he obviously trained in, in Calgary with the Hearts as well so they're accepting him as like a, a sort of second Canadian um, so he's loving it um, Real Dog comes out Night Heart they all get great innovations as well Owen then obviously you get Brett coming out last and the place just goes absolutely banana as Gorilla Monster would say it's um, a great ovation and you just have them all all ten men lining up in the ring and then the brawl is on it's just one of those moments that you'll always remember as a fan just that sort of atmosphere that that's, that can make a good event I mean we've talked about crowds for years and how a good crowd can make a make an event but sometimes when you see decent draws. I mean, last night they were having to pipe in crowd noise again for the Thunderdome, trying to get an atmosphere and or drown out chance that they don't deem appropriate. Let let fans do what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? It's only a TV show for God's sake. It's not going to cost you sponsors if somebody's shouting for Bray Wyatt. I mean, it's, it's just it's daft. Let the fans get on with it because they can make make or break a show, and they certainly made it that night as well. And and that's a whole point of wrestling, it's for fans, it's for our entertainment and the match itself I mean it's just an all out brawl for the majority of it, you get Bret Hart working with everyone, he's working with Austin but this is the sort of time when Owen's breaking away um, he's going to do the feud with Stone Cold as well and ultimately that's how the match ends with the, the sort of quick roll up I don't know if Owen uses the tights as well he rolls them up, I'm pretty sure he does use the tights for the roll up but it's, it's more the atmosphere and just the, the Hart family going home that, that makes this match for me. Like you say, it's probably the last great night for the Hearts in wrestling. 
yeah, it was all pretty much downhill from here, and it is a shame because they are they are one of the the main wrestling families, and and they have a very great sport, as Tony Schiavone would say. And again, you're 100 right. A crowd can make a mediocre event, a mediocre yeah. match, an amazing match, because if you're watching as a fan, you feel part of it. You enjoy the, the chanting. You enjoy, and it's one of the things that I never understand why they try and eliminate this whole. Oh, we don't do heels and baby faces. This is they're cheering because this is their hometown. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is their hometown. This is their their boys. There's no bigger. I think, I think the other biggest baby faces I've ever seen would be CM Punk in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Rob Van Dam when he went back to ECW One Night Stand. Mm-hmm. That's people cheering for their guys. Yeah. And those... you got away from. I mean, I could go on a whole other long rant about how. Wrestling goes away from heels and baby faces and having rules for heels to break so that when we kids are in the audience, they're shouting at the ref that their, their favourite's getting cheated. It's just something they don't do now and it's so simple. But that's how, and like you're the commentators playing out how such and such is, that's how Rick Flair was the dirtiest player in the game, but he used to cheat. Yeah. And the, the commentators would call it out and then the next time you go to an event, if you're watching Ric Flair cheat, you know that he cheats, so you're shouting to the referee and you're getting involved. And I always equate it back to football, that if you're playing a team that's time-wasting and diving, and it doesn't matter, it could be a total jobber team that's three divisions below your team, but your team's playing rubbish and falling for all these staff tricks. So you get annoyed. I mean, you don't necessarily hate, I'm going to pick a random team here. Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock, we're from Scotland, obviously. Kilmarnock team under Steve Clark were terrible for it. They would break up play, they would fall over, they would win daft free kicks, they would take throw-ins from different positions and really get your back up and you got on the the players' back and stuff like that. So it works for grown men that have been watching football all their days. It would work for children, it would work for adults going to see wrestling. Give players and people rules to break. Yeah. I was going to say, I think what makes the match as well is you've obviously got this whole summer of 97 where they've one week their Raw's in America and then the next it's in Canada. It's really strange how it worked out that way. I don't know if that was deliberate. I mean, if that was deliberate, they've done that once to the fans because you'd roll it for a week in Canada, then two weeks in America and then back to Canada, pay-per-view in Canada. It was just something they don't do as much now in these days. You don't see them walking over the border every other week. And that, that makes it because they're whipping up the fans into a frenzy the American fans are they want blood, do you know what I mean? They're, they're absolutely apoplectic seeing Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation coming out and trashing the American flag and stuff but then you've got the next week they're jumping over to, to Canada and it's just it's the second coming of Jesus or whatever it's, these people are just, they're gods to them eh, up there in Canada and it's the fans, are, you can tell that the fans are buying right into the storyline the Americans think that they're the be all and end all, but the Canadians there, they're sort of plucky little guys that just want to come and, and have a pop, and, and that's the way it came across. Canada was sick of American taunts, and they just wanted to take revenge, and it was just, it was really great story uh, storytelling and booking throughout that whole that whole summer, and that's what makes that, that main event match um, just stand out so much, was the crowd were right up for it. They, if they could get involved and jump the barrier to help Brett, they would have done that night. It was one of those nights where the Heart Foundation, where the whole crowd, <laughs> the whole crowd was the Hearts. It was just one of those amazing nights, and you'll not see that much more in in modern day wrestling with crowds these days. I mean, 
we talk about it being the last great moment of the hearts, and it is because the whole family's there, all the mum, dad, all the brothers, the sisters, and Natalia's there as well. Tyson Kedderfinks even jumps in, he was still a young kid at the time. Um, Owen's son's there, Teddy Hart, who's another wrestler that obviously not been successful, he's in the ring, and it's quite sad when you see six months later, not even six months later, Pillman's gone. Brett's then leaves the company the month after. Bulldog's gone. Nightheart's gone. Owen's the last man standing. And then Owen oh, sadly passes, you know, in 99. And then it's just one thing after another. Bulldog goes. Brett has all these unfortunate... His mom, I think his mum and dad go as well, quickly after Owen. So, I mean, that just shows what happens to that family. It's pretty tragic, actually, when, when you think about it. And to redeem it, I mean... But, you get the whole Brett not talking to Vince for years and years, but when Brett had his stroke, um, Vince was one of the first people on the phone to him. So that that's that is the marker of Vince that even though he knows that he done wrong, he may, for business wise he he knows that he, he done the right thing, but morally it's probably wrong what he done to Brett as a guy who's loyal him for nearly twenty years. So he was one of the first on the phone to him after that the bike accident, and that's kind of what it's the first sort of. Olive Branch that lets Brett know that yeah, it's, it's probably time to come home and that was 2003 I think Brett doesn't come back till 2010 so I think he gets the Hall of Fame is it 2005 he gets that um, and it's, so it's, it is, it's still quite a couple of years later where he finds it in him to sort of forgive everyone so it's it's quite it's a sad story in a way for, for Brett but at the end of the day it's um, he gets his, his homecoming eventually and, and that's what all he wanted and all the fans that has wanted really just to see him that sort of one last time going out on a high so at least we got to see that with, with Brett um, uh, in 2010 but just a shame how whatever else happened to the family The other thing you've got here and another story that they used to tell back in the day and I, I loved it as a kid where the story they tell is that the hearts of a family now, sure, they've had fights over the years, they've fell out over the years, but they know how each other think and how each other work. On the other side, you've got Austin. He's a loner. Gold dust. He's a weirdo and a loner. Yep. Uh, Shamrock, who's a bit of a nutter and a loner. And then you've got LOD, who are a tag team. So that's not a cohesive unit. No. So you've got another story to tell there, you know what I mean? And that's, like I always, as a kid, right, I remember you would watch, remember we would get these videos where it'd be like house show matches uh-huh. and it would be I don't know, Animal, Animal used to be in them quite a lot probably because Hawk was drunk or something like that um, <laughs> and it'd be maybe Animal versus I don't know whoever, Mr Perfect or something like that but then the commentators would explain to you yeah Animal's great but he's a tag wrestler and Mr Perfect is a, a singles competitor so he's used to being out there himself, Animal's used to getting breaks and Stuff like that, just to sort of justify how perfect you get one over the animal. And then if you've got two individuals who, who are great as individuals t- teaming up against a tag team who might not be as good, but they're a tag team they're used to working together. Just those wee stories that give you an explanation of why such and such is winning and why they're doing what they're doing and how, if you let me pick two baby faces, why Brutus Beefcake and the Texas Tornado would not be able to beat. Uh, Power and Glory, for example, and I'm just putting random names out there, right? They probably never fought, but you know that yeah. backstory. I just, I just love all those wee nuances. And if you're a kid sitting watching that, you believe it, and you're thinking, "Oh, can animals somehow do this? Can they overcome Mr. Perfect? Mr. Perfect using all the 
the tricks of the trade. He's got a manager out there who's distracting animal and stuff like that. So it's just the wee stories again that they don't do now, and it's something I doubt you'll ever get back in the business yeah. now because of where we are and the world we now live in. But yeah, this is a great match, a great crowd. It's very unusual because I think if I was to ask you to pick another ten wrestlers and pick some of their greatest moments or matches, I doubt you would uh, come back with any other ten man tags. I can't think of any other no. classic ten man tags off the top of my head. I mean, there was what, what was that one at SummerSlam twenty? Was that the Nexus? That's Nexus, when they feel like it very. Yeah, Aye. I think Bret Hart was involved in that. In fact, as well, I'm sure he was <laughs> one of the team yeah. members. But I was kind of clusterfuck <laughs> that one. Um, I that came about in the next stuff. I haven't seen. I just brought it up everybody. But I don't know what's <laughs> going on with that. But no, I mean, there's not many big sort of ten man tags. I mean, there was one in EW the other night, and that went. Did, did, I don't know if you watched it. It went nearly forty five minutes, and that's too long for a match. As much as the fans were into the match, it's too long for a televised match to go. Even a forty-five minutes with ten men, it's um, it was madness. But um, it was still a decent match. But no, it was definitely not worth forty-five minutes of, of our time watching it. But uh, it was the entrances were good. That was up. Well, that's us more or less come to the end of our Bret Hart journey. Uh, I did ask you earlier on how would you like to see Bret go up against Austin as Austin was champion and Austin was more on top. We briefly discussed Brett working with The Rock, but if Brett hadn't left, who else would you have liked to have seen Brett work with if he hadn't gone to WCW? Or, in fact, if that he did go to WCW, who should he have worked with? Because we know, and again, there's probably a pod in there in the future of bad booking decisions that Brett was ruined oh. in WCW. Who would you like to have seen him stay and work with? I mean, the first one for me, right, is Kurt Angle. I think oh, if you get a Bret Hart Angle match, that's, that's gold right there. Kurt Angle, uh, it would have been a wrestling clinic. It would have been absolutely different class. I mean, there's not much else you can say to that. They've just been outstanding. I mean, who else? Angle, Owen, if Brett had kept about, you could have probably got an Owen face turn um, and a Brett heel run out of that. I think we've discussed that before as well. We could have had Owen back involved in that. We mentioned The Rock. Triple H as well. Um if it was Triple H in his sort of game sort of phase, um, that would have been a good one. You could have had Brett really taking it personally with the whole Shawn Michaels thing. That would have been that would have been good to watch seeing those two going at it because that would have had that element of real life to it as well. <sighs> I don't really know how much longer he could have got out of Brett if he'd have stayed injury free. Nothing had happened. Maybe get another what? What is he now? He's sixty odds. There's nothing to say he wouldn't have been able to wrestle until he was at least mid-50s. So, you've got other guys coming in. You've got Jericho. You've got that. You've got Benoit, who we you know he did work yeah. with WCW. Eddie. Uh, I don't see him. Well, maybe see him, but he was around in the sort of early 2000s. So, that's one. Obviously, the an outsider. See if you know, I'd have to cheat a wee bit, right, and I'd have to pause Brett's career and his ageing process, but I'd love to see a top-level um, Brett and Samoa Joe. I, I used to love Samoa Joe when he was first breaking through. I don't think we've ever seen the best of him. Yeah. Um, TNA probably get the best of him, and that's a shame because nobody watches TNA. Uh, yeah. But I, an early 
if anyone's ever watched the Joe's Gonna Kill You phase of TNA, <laughs> a Bret Hart versus Samoa Joe, that, that would have been an absolute better oh. of a match. But yeah. um, no, nah, I agree with them. Angle and Bret could have went up and down the road there. Cena? Could have Bret and Cena going at it? Just that sort of oh, who's the family-friendly face, stuff like that, that would have been good to see, but if he went to WWE, oh, he did go to WCW, if he didn't get injured, I would have liked to have seen Brett coming back to, to WWF as like the sort of leader of that WCW invasion, that would have just gave it sort of more more gravitas, more legitimacy if Brett Hart had came back as part of that, as a wrestler, as part of that invasion, that would have maybe helped save that, that would have been good if Brett as a face, Coming back to school. Would have been the, the, the best, right? And again, you'd need to ego check people, but again, you could have probably made legs out of it, right? See if you had a decent WCW invasion team and had WCW somehow win and then have Brett come back to save the WWF. Yeah, that, that would have been amazing. That would have been. There you go, right? There's your story, right? Brett coming back to save the WWF. And then again, we are, we're playing with timelines. We? Not really, because what was Brett kicked in the head in 2000? Yeah, So he's got another couple of years, isn't he? He's got another couple of years on him. So if you have a decent WCW invasion, the WWF, whether you turn Austin or not, right? Whether you do something with Austin. And I'm going to be honest, right? I think if you'd said to Austin, look, we're bringing in Brett, he's going to come back. Austin's got no problem working with Brett. And then what you then could do is you could do, whether you do another double turn or whether you do whatever, but you have Brett come back to save the WWF and then uh, Austin starts getting jealous of Brett and then that's, I think, the only way you could have turned uh, Austin heel yeah. properly because it never, ever worked. But that is a story for another day. So next week we're going to discuss one of my favourites of all time. Um, and somebody who I think is too small to be champion. But <laughs> we're going to discuss CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. We're going yep. to talk about... We, well, we know, right, it's heavily rumoured right now as we record that both are going to show up in AEW. We're going to talk about, is that the right decision for them? Because I think WWF, WWE is a bit of a minefield just now where they you could be main eventing for the title one month and then you're released a week later. Um <laughs> So we're going to discuss where the best for them and whatever they decide do, we're going to decide or we're going to try and book some stories that could draw and try and get some energy back into the product because Punk has been gone for, what is it, seven years now? Yeah, seven and a half um, years. Uh, and we know he done some UFC and stuff like that. Uh, Daniel Bryan, of course, was in and out of WWE but he was injured for quite a lot of time. So both of them, I don't think, are going to be around for a long time. So I think they're going to be around for a good time. So that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to discuss where they're going to end up, why they're going to end up there, and then we're going to try and book the territory a wee bit. But anything else you want to add, Si, before we wrap up? Yeah, well, obviously you've got last week's Dynamite, but if you watched it, that's when Hangman Page lost out in his um, title shot opportunity because he was pinned clean so that's probably what's led to this whole CM Punk Daniel Bryan thing so I'd imagine that we I think um, Paige is taking some time out as well so I think plans plans were for him to go go over at the, was it the all out pay per view but I think they've put that on the shelf now he's having a kid in real life as well so 
he's not booked um, for the pay-per-view itself, so they're going to hold fire on that, which is probably good, because you don't want his moment getting ruined by the, the sort of bigger stars coming in. His time will come, so it will be a great moment when he finally does get the title. So I would definitely urge you, Kev, to start, start doing your homework on AEW and watching some of the, the matches there. So Hangman Page is out, and it looks like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan are coming into that that title picture with Kenny Omega. Um, so it should be an interesting few months. Mm. Uh, well, next week we'll discuss that and we'll discuss some of the pitfalls because I think, and again, without going into it too much just now, one of the, the things that AEW have got to watch is they, start, they need to start having homegrown stars. Yeah. And they need to avoid having them be squashed by incoming ex-WWE guys because I think that's something somebody some people throw at them quite a lot, but again, it's hard to have no WWE stars in a time where WWE have got 90% of the wrestlers in the world signed up under some sort of contract, but we will talk about it next week. Sai, thank you very much as always. I've very much enjoyed discussing Bret Hart's best matches, best moments, and it's something that I hope to do further down the line for another couple of wrestlers. Yeah, no, we'll definitely do this one again. Um... Bret Hart, I can talk about him all night as we know, so whatever subject you want to choose next for the, the wrestling, some sort of wrestler's best moments would be would be fine by me, so no, I really enjoyed it, so looking forward to next week and see what we can come up with. Yeah, well, stay tuned back in for next week for some fantasy bookings, some discussion on AEW. We don't, I don't think we've really spoke about modern wrestling yet, so this will be an opportunity for you to to hear our views. Thank you all for listening and we will be back next week on the What Maneuver podcast. At Quite The Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators made without constraints. 